I saw it on Linden Street. Hello, and welcome to I Saw It on Linden Street, the show dedicated to the joy of finding an appreciation in cult films, exploitation oddities, beloved classics, and all points in between. I'm your host, Chris Roberts, inviting you to join us here at the Linden Street Cinema Experience Theater as we once again dig up a fun cinematic relic from the past. If you're new to the show, thank you so much for joining us. This isn't your standard film review. Rather, it's a synopsis of a film we feel deserves to have another inspection. Maybe throwing you a little background on the actors, something about the director, and if I'm doing my job right, perhaps you get a half amusing story or two out of me. Now, fair be warned, while we don't cover all aspects of the plot, we do discuss endings and spoilers. So if you want to be surprised, please give the film a viewing before you listen to us. If you like us, and I would hope that you do, please recommend this podcast to a friend, give us a favorable review. We are kicking off this month's theme, I Feel Good. It's our covering of a batch of films that all check that comfort box for being entertaining and generating good vibes. On that note, we are pleased to offer up the 1979 musical comedy, The Muppet Movie. Join us! As I had previously stated, as youths, we would watch Saturday afternoon movies on WGN, and we would tape them if they were any good. While that in itself is nothing special, I would be exposed to new films as mentioned earlier, and I got really good at knowing the jingles to many car commercials and local Chicagoan businesses. Now, I don't exactly remember what age I was, five maybe, but I do remember one Saturday morning my father was reading the paper after setting us up with sugary cereal and cartoons, and he came in and announced that, oh boy, you guys are in for a treat. The Muppet movie is going to be on TV. And with that, my brother and I officially had our minds blown. We had seen The Muppet Show. We had seen A Muppet Family Christmas, the TV special, and we had seen episodes of Fraggle Rock at that point. But there was a Muppet movie? Again, Please, bear with me. I was five. Nobody was exactly doling this information out to me. And because of that, I would then get to find out there were two more additional movies after it. So, as far as we were concerned, the world was our oyster. The Great Muppet Caper was a favorite to be enjoyed at sleepovers with my cousins. The Muppets Take Manhattan was a particular favorite of mine. I would sit downstairs at the breakfast bar and draw to it. They were each great in their own right, but for me, they would never quite live up to the pure fun and magic that the original film held, and to this day still holds for me. If you haven't picked up on it yet, Jim Henson is one of my personal heroes. He's one of the few people that I can point to who lived their life trying to make the world a truly better place through their art and doing so with gentle kindness and humor. From my perspective, that's a really short list of people. Now, I do promise one of these days I will get around to doing a proper full episode dedicated to just covering the man himself. But for now, to understand how this film was actually developed, I think one needs to look back on what Mr. Henson was doing around 1978. Well, actually, maybe that's a bit presumptuous of me. Let's look back to 1974. 
You see, after having a successful launch of Sesame Street in 1969, Henson was now established enough to start to pitch programs that he really wanted to make. Puppetry that could be enjoyed by families, but more importantly, adults. And, as I had stated before in episode 21, the Dark Crystal episode, Henson was afraid of becoming typecast as being only a children's entertainer. Henson had created two separate television variety show specials, specifically created for ABC, which agreed to air them with the option of then picking them up for series. January of 1974 saw the Muppet Valentine special air, starring Mia Farrow and a host of Muppet characters starring in sketches singing songs. It was a proto-Muppet show, and it ended up using sketches that would eventually be reincorporated into the actual Muppet show years later, including the classic Froggy Went A-Courtin' and the ever-popular alien extravaganza The Gallio Hoop Hoop. ABC liked it, but passed on picking it up as a pilot. Henson went back to the drawing board, retooled that second special. He had already shot it alongside Valentine's Day. And in the following year, March of 1975, The Muppet Show, Sex and Violence, made its television debut. Still holding on to a variety show sensibility and parodying modern TV's use of sex and violence, the gang ends up holding a Seven Deadly Sins pageant, and we get to see more sketches that would be included in the regular show, such as one of the At The Dance scenes. Brother. Oh, maybe I should marry him. <laughs> hey, hey, you said I could lead this time. Okay, okay, but I thought you promised to wear the pink taffeta. Oh, so I lied. What's the difference between immoral and illegal? Uh, immoral is uh, doing bad things. Illegal is me with a tummy ache. I didn't write it. Hey, uh, thank you for letting me have this dance with you. Uh, what did you say your name was? Mary Louise. One, two, three, dip. Oh. Yeah, so I've recorded three record albums, and they're really great, but they haven't sold. Uh, what are you saying, rock? No, lullabies! <laughs> One, two, three, dip. One, two, three, twirl. And of course, ABC, in seeing the quality and dedication that Henson put into the project, they passed on it. Henson pitched it to CBS. They passed on it. He pitched it to NBC. They passed. Just when it looked like things were done, ATV came calling. Associated Television, or ATV, was a British independent station that was purchased by Sir Lou Grade in 1958 and filmed out of Elstree Studios in Borehamwood, a suburb of the London metro area. ATV, at the time, would take over broadcasting duties to fill in for content when the ABC broadcast affiliate would stop in the UK, much like the independent UHF stations here would do on weekends. 
It's exactly what early Fox stations would do, that is, before they started buying out and consuming up their independent brethren. Sir Grade was a British showbiz fixture, and had previously contracted with Henson to bring the Muppets along and film a special with Julie Andrews in 1973. He understood the power of puppetry and had seen firsthand how entertaining it was, so Grade agreed to pick up the show. But he would syndicate it, first broadcasting it to other independent stations throughout the UK, and then the show itself would be distributed through ITC Entertainment, who would lease the show out internationally. First making its debut in 1976, the show was a smash hit. By 1977, The Muppet Show had been syndicated to over a hundred other countries and was raking in millions of dollars. And what's more, it gave Jim Henson the opportunity to show that he was not just a children's entertainer, and more importantly, gave him the clout to launch new projects. Projects like The Muppet Movie. So in 1978, Henson, with the backing again of Grade, wanted to do things right when it came to making a film about the Muppets. Muppet performer collaborator Jerry Jewell worked on the script, partnering with comedian Jack Burns, famous for first being partner to George Carlin and then later being partners with Avery Schreibner, before becoming a producer in his own right. The two struck a balance between absurdity and sweetness with their screenplay. Problems only seemed to arise from working with the director, James Frawley, who had come from a television background, having worked on The Monkees, That Girl, and Columbo. They'd wanted to have a seasoned director, and that was one thing that made sense. However, Frawley did not understand, nor did he really like The Muppets, which led to difficulties on set between director and performers. Filming puppets, interacting with real outside locations, took people that would need a lot of innovation, unique techniques, and patience, and none of those things were Frawley's strong point. Henson ended up reaching out to musician and previous Muppet Show guest Paul Williams when it came to working on the music for the film. Williams subsequently paired with talented jazz pianist and composer Kenneth Asher to complete the soundtrack for the film, which is simply amazing, but we can come back to that later. Last but not least, when it came to securing the non-Muppet talent, a host of film stars from the day were happy to provide cameos for the film. The marvelous Charles Durning was already hired to play the villainous Doc Hopper and Austin Pendleton as his well-intentioned sidekick Max. But then you have an avalanche of acting cameos, including Dom DeLuise, Albert Finney, James Coburn, Madeline Kahn, Telly Savalas, Carol Kane, Paul Williams, Milton Berle, Elliot Gould, Edgar Bergen, with Charlie McCarthy, of course, Bob Hope, Richard Pryor, Steve Martin, Mel Brooks, Cloris Leachman, and Orson Welles. This is groaning at the seams with talent, and when coupled with Jules and Burns' script full of puns and one-liners, they take what is already a great experience to a new level. Alright, I have to admit, I have been gassing on about this now for far too long. How about we actually get to the trailer? Anyone who has ever dreamed of fame and fortune at the end of the rainbow, this is one of the greatest success stories of all time. 
proving once and for all that anyone can make it, no matter how young, no matter how green. The lovers, the dreamers, and me. All it took was a dream. Hollywood, you sing, you tell jokes, you can make millions of people happy. Millions of people happy. The road was long, but never lonely. It was dangerous, but never dull. Filled with unshakable friendship. Come with us to Hollywood. When you get rich and famous, maybe we'll show up and exploit your wealth. Unforgettable faces. I just gotta catch up with those guys. And unexpected romance. Never she was a temperamental beauty, an unmarried woman, and a gorgeous pig. Piggy! Miss Piggy! Are you Miss Piggy? Yes. Telephone. Could it be snowing? Uh, no, I don't think so. Moving right along. Today is your lucky day. The price on the stick is the price you pay. Never more, never less.
In a very meta opening, the now successful Muppets are about to attend a screening of a film that explains how they've all met. And we are treated to a daylight-soaked Florida swamp where Kermit the Frog sings the opening song, Rainbow Connection, over the opening credits. His song ends up being heard by a lost talent agent, Bernie, as played by Dom DeLuise, who tells him he's really good and he should get into show business, and informs him about an audition opportunity that is coming in a few days in L.A. But before they can discuss the matter further, Bernie is chased away by Arnie the Alligator, leaving Kermit to ponder if he should go for it, repeating to himself this is a chance to make millions of people happy. Biking into town, Kermit is almost flattened by a work crew constructing a new restaurant. Okay, okay, you guys, now come on, do what I tell you. I don't know where you... All right, okay, don't step on that asphalt. I told you not to... Come on, we gotta get this two by the... Off the asphalt! I told you, stay off the asphalt! Hey, look at him. Oh, this is a big bike. Hey, hey, you on the bike! Watch out! Watch out! Watch out! Oh my god! Watch out! Watch out! pretty dangerous building a road in the middle of the street. I mean, if frogs couldn't hop, I'd be gone with the Schwinn. Along his journey, Kermit stops by the El Slizo Cafe, where he helps a hapless stand-up comedian, Fozzie Bear, attempt to quell a rough crowd. Their efforts fail, but the duo do manage to extract themselves and agree to continue on the journey to Hollywood together, by way of Fozzie's old Studebaker. They begin to pull away, but they're stopped by Doc Hopper, as played by Charles Durning, the owner of a chain of restaurants that specializes in French fried frog legs, a clear KFC Colonel Sanders parody, who, along with his assistant Max, as played by Arthur Pendleton, ask if he would like to become the spokesman for his chain, offering Kermit $500. Kermit is horrified and declines, and we now have an established villain as Hopper spends the rest of the film doggedly pursuing Kermit. What's that? Ah. Hi, I'm Doc Hopper, inviting you to hop on down and get some Hopper's French fried frog legs, right here at the sign of the bright green legs. Good grief. Come on, come on. Hurry, 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 hurry. Frog legs, frog legs, frog legs are fine. Hoppers is the place you should dine. There's cheese legs, bacon legs, chili legs, too. French fried frog legs, barbecue. If you want just a snack, then here is the one. A frog leg burger on a bright green bun. That is terrible. That's the most appalling, disgusting, revolting thing I've ever seen. I know. I'm a great businessman and a sweet fella, but I do lack the skills of a performer. You also make a lousy frog. You, on the other hand, make a terrific frog. What? He's right, you know. You are very likable, Kermit. The bear's right. You, my little likable friend, are going to do all our television commercials. No way. Hold it. Now, just a minute. There's $500 in it for you up front. $500 is just the beginning. You could be earning this much every year. Let's go, Fozzie. $500? Would you consider a bear in a frog suit? Fozzie! I guess, sir, I just lost my head. Just a minute, Mr. Frog. Everything's negotiable.
As the pair continue their trip across country, enjoying each other's company and singing, uh, moving right along is in this section, as they drive, they're stopped yet again by Doc Hopper, who then takes them to a billboard that has Kermit's image already painted on it, right in front of a bucket of frog legs. Kermit and Fozzie again take off, angering Hopper for a second time. Lost, the duo are exhausted and decide to sleep in the parking lot of a what appears to be abandoned Presbyterian church, yet they're awakened by the raucous sounds of rock music coming from within. It's here that we meet Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem Band, which consists of Janice, Floyd Pepper, Zoot, Animal, and their road manager, Scooter. Rather than explain how they got there, Kermit and Fozzie simply hand Dr. Teeth a copy of the shooting script and nap while the band catches up on the plot. Helping the pair out, they paint the car psychedelic colors, to the tune of Can You Picture That, to help disguise them from Hopper. Kermit invites them to come along, but the band declines, opting to come instead and mooch off of them when they are all mellow and profitable. After an almost disastrous accident with a crazy plumbing truck, as piloted by the great Gonzo and his chicken girlfriend Camilla, they decide to join the group and travel to a used car lot to trade in both of the failing vehicles to Madman Moody. It's played by Milton Berle, who's not really interested in giving them a deal, but when his Jack, who is Sweetums, swats a fly, he ends up creating a decimal point on a price, and they're able to purchase a cherry 1946 Ford Woody station wagon for the price of $11.95. Sweetums is offered a chance to come along, but he gets so excited, he runs off to go get his things without ever telling them yes. The group drives off, thinking he said no, setting up a running gag of an excitable Sweetums doggedly chasing after the group, yelling that he wants to come along. Oh, thank you very much. Hey, we're all going to Hollywood. You want to come with us? Hollywood? That's strange. You just ran away. Well, moving right along, Fuzzy. Yes, sir. <laughs> hey, uh, watch where you're going now, Fuzzy. Yes, sir. Hey! Wait, where are you going? Hey, wait for me! Hey, I want to go to Hollywood! Hey, wait for me! Come on, guys! Wait, please! I want to go to Hollywood! The group drives through a county fair where a beauty contest is being held, and the group gets to meet Miss Piggy, an aspiring actress and model who is competing in the competition. Piggy ends up winning, and locks eyes with Kermit while the song Never Before swells on the soundtrack. Clearly, they are attracted to one another. Gonzo, out to impress Camilla, goes to a balloon vendor, as played by Richard Pryor, and ends up buying all of them, which happened to have the effect of launching his body into space and causing the group, including now Miss Piggy, to give chase as he floats further and further away from them. He eventually has his balloons popped when an errant shotgun blast from Doc Hopper sends him crashing down on the gang's moving car. Kermit and Piggy end up having a date that evening where they have some champagne and interact with a rude waiter as played by Steve Martin. And while they're enjoying themselves, Piggy is called away by a fake phone message only to find herself kidnapped by Doc Hopper and used as bait. 
Kermit, thinking she has walked out on him, heads out of the restaurant and strikes up a conversation in the bar with Rolf, a piano-playing dog. Together they sing, I hope that something better comes along. Kermit also ends up receiving a phone call, and it is Hopper telling him to exit the hotel and bar, or Piggy will be injured. Kermit quickly finds himself kidnapped by Hopper and his men, who give Kermit over to Professor Crassman, as played by Mel Brooks, a mad scientist who has a machine that will brainwash Kermit into doing all of the commercials for the food chain. Hopper leaves, and an enraged Piggy breaks free from her bonds and engages with Hopper's men in a fight winning and freeing Kermit. In the process, Craftsman gets pushed into his own machine and finds himself brainwashed instead. Happy to be together again, the mood is shattered quickly when Piggy receives a phone call from her agent and promptly abandons him, hurting his feelings. Rolf ends up accompanying the group as they move on to L.A. Driving through the desert, they find Miss Piggy broken down by the side of the road and take her along. And even though they're all disappointed in her for how she behaved, Kermit forgives her. The Woody, however, ends up breaking down in the middle of the desert, and with no way of fixing it, the group begins to panic. How will they get to the audition the next day? Kermit is saddened and frustrated, and ends up telling everybody, well, I never promised we would get there. He then walks off, feeling guilt and shame for scolding them and for letting them all down. He ends up talking to himself and resolves to go back and figure things out. I didn't promise anybody anything. What do I know about Hollywood anyway? Just the dreams I got from sitting through too many double features. So why did you leave the swamp in the first place? Because some agent fellow said I had talent. <laughs> he probably says that to everybody. On the other hand, if you hadn't left the swamp, you'd be feeling pretty miserable anyhow. Yeah, but then it would just be me feeling miserable. Now I got a lady pig, and a bear, and a chicken, a dog, a thing, whatever Gonzo is. He's a little like a turkey. Yeah, a little like a turkey, but not much. No, I guess not. Anyhow, I brought them all out here into the middle of nowhere. It's all my fault. Still, whether you promised them something or not, you got to remember they wanted to come. That's because they believed in me. No, they believed in the dream. Well, so do I, but... You do? Yeah, of course I do. Well then, well then, I guess I was wrong when I said I never promised anyone. I promised me. Kermit returns to the group to apologize, but instead he finds a jam session in progress. The Electric Mayhem have arrived by bus. You see, they still had the shooting script, and they knew where the group was going to be, so they just drove out to pick them up. Heading back to L.A., the group is pulled over by a bike cop, who turns out to be Max. He warns Kermit that Hopper is obsessed with him, and has hired professional assassins to come kill him if he won't work for him. Kermit, tired of running, decides to face off with Hopper at a nearby ghost town. The group finds that Dr. Bunsen Honeydew and his assistant, Beaker, are currently living in the area and doing their patented strange experiments where they can't be disturbed. Honeydew is currently working on Instagrow pills to make food bigger, but he notes that the effects are sadly temporary. Kermit ends up facing off with Hopper in the street, 
telling him that he has his own hopes and dreams too, trying to appeal to his decency as a person. Hopper, what's the matter with you? You gotta be crazy chasing me halfway across the country. Why are you doing this to me? Because all my life I wanted to own a thousand frog leg restaurants and you're the key, Greeny. Yeah, well, I've got a dream too. But it's about singing and dancing and making people happy. That's the kind of dream that gets better the more people you share it with. And, well, I found a whole bunch of friends who have the same dream. And, and it kind of makes us like a family. Do you have anybody like that, Hopper? I mean, once you get all those restaurants, who are you going to share it with? Who are your friends, Doc? Those guys? Max! I got lots of friends. Max, for instance. Max. I don't think you're a bad man, Doc. And I think if you look in your heart, you'll find you really want to let me and my friends go to follow our dream. But, but if that's not the kind of man you are, and uh, if what I'm saying doesn't make any sense to you, well then, go ahead and kill me. Suddenly, a gigantic animal bursts through the building behind them, having eaten the Instagro pills, and frightens off Hopper and all of his men for good. Conflict resolved, the group heads to L.A. and reaches Worldwide Studios to get in for their auditions. They're stopped by the head secretary, Miss Tracy, as played by Cloris Leachman, but the group manages to get by her due to her extreme allergies to animal fur telling Lou Lord, as played by Orson Welles, to his face that they have traveled all the way here to make millions of people happy. He ends up buzzing Miss Tracy and asks her to set them all up with the standard rich and famous contract. The group then are seen in a production studio making their first film together, a retelling of their journey together to reach Hollywood, and they sing the song The Magic Store. A prop set of balloons accidentally ends up crashing into the rainbow that is over them, causing a series of catastrophes and explosions that end up blowing a hole in the roof, causing an actual rainbow to enter the studio. The group sings together, and the camera pulls back to reveal hundreds of Muppets in unison. The meta-screening comes to an end, and the Muppets, watching their own film, react in surprise as Sweetums bursts through the screen, finally having caught up with them and joining them in Hollywood. The credits roll as the Muppets celebrate and congratulate each other on the film. This is awesome. The flame is Where to start? There's so much to unpack for this. I guess for starters, the simple concept that we touched upon before, the sheer cinematic magic of having Muppets interacting with real-world objects. As the film opens, for those who can appreciate the complexity, Kermit is sitting and playing a banjo, 
as a crane shot slowly comes around and down on him, rotating as he performs. As a casual viewer, it's just a cool and interesting shot, and I'll admit this didn't impress me until I thought about it much later, like when I was a teenager. But think about it, you're seeing Kermit's full body sitting on the log. Where is Henson? To shoot the scene, Henson had to spend a week welded in a metal drum with Muppet performers Catherine Mullen and Steve Whitmere submerged underwater, watching their own performances backwards on a small TV monitor to perform Kermit from underneath said log. Three people crammed together, working through a monitor, having to have their air pumped in to breathe. As the magic store states, that's dedication. Within 15 minutes of the film being started, the viewers get to have their minds blown again when Kermit the Frog, being brought to life, having a person insert their hand into his small felt body, is now shown riding a bicycle by himself. His feet are working the pedals, the bike is moving forward in a slow but steady pace, movie magic and all done practically. You see, there's motorized pedals that are turning, moving, Kermit's legs along with them, while out of frame an entire suspended overhead crane rig structure moves along with the bike, holding it up by way of wires that are not seen by the camera. Kermit is puppeteered from above, marionette style, to move his head, make him speak, move his body. It looks so effortless and cool, and I personally can't get enough of seeing it. Worth expounding on too. Muppets driving. Any time on the Muppet Show itself a vehicle would show up, it was always from a stage perspective, not shot full on as a moving vehicle. That being said, we actively here get to see Fozzie and Kermit driving cars while being performed by Henson and Oz respectively. In reality, they're rigged vehicles. The driver would actually be in the rear, in the trunk of the car, driving by way of video camera, allowing performers to wedge themselves in on the floorboards and hold the Muppets up into the seats above, allowing their characters to actively drive. This sort of innovation is what put Henson at odds with director Frawley, and again, after this film, there would never be another Muppet project that was directed by somebody on the outside of the performing circle. After this, always someone who got the process and saw the big picture and knew what the group was trying to accomplish was tapped to direct, which was usually either Henson or Oz himself. I have to say, my favorite thing about this film is Gonzo. Now, full disclosure, Gonzo has always been my favorite Muppet. Gonzo originally didn't start out as a Muppet proper, Gonzo was a Frackle, one of the several tough monster side characters to appear in the Great Santa Claus Switch, which was a set piece done for the Ed Sullivan Show in December of 1970, with Art Carney playing the dual roles of Santa and the evil leader of the Frackles who wants to impersonate him and take Christmas away. Gonzo, as we know him today, was created when David Goles, who was the new kid in the Henson troupe, was told to create a character. 
Henson personally had selected the freckle that would become Gonzo and gave it to him to work with. Goals initially played the character as an introspective but sad person. The character ended up evolving to become the Muppet Troupe's resident performance artist. His permanently drooping eyes were eventually changed with Henson's blessing to become far more manic and exuberant and expressive, and that is the character we have come to know and love. On the show, he is the in-house stuntman and performance artist performing all kinds of incredible stunts, which I have to say here are a couple of the following of my favorite. Eating an entire rubber tire to the tune of Flight of the Bumblebee. Reciting the works of Piercy Bish Shelley whilst at the same time diffusing a bomb. Reciting Shakespeare while suspended by his nose on a giant feathered boa. And conducting an orchestra while dueling a giant crab. And of course, I'll save it here, one of my all-time favorites. Sorry for the delay. I'm happy to announce the return engagement of Gonzo the Great. Are you ready back there, Gonzo? Okay. Uh, okay. Who will sing Top Hat while tap dancing in a vat of oatmeal and Gonzo the Great? Yeah! Oh. 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 Putting on my top hat. Tying up my white tie. Dusting off my toothpaste. Oh. Wait, wait. He's trying to do the oatmeal. Don't worry. Don't worry. We got spoons and milk and brown sugar. Yeah, we're gonna eat our way through to him. Close the curtain! Close the curtain! What are they doing with those spoons? Scraping the bottom of the barrel. Mm, I'm not surprised. That's how they get all their acts. <laughs> By the time we see Gonzo here in the Muppet movie, he is fully transitioned into his fun, weird personality. And he's adopted the running motif that is actually used in future films. He has this affinity for plumbing. Upon being picked up by the gang, he abandons his plumbing career to join them in their quest for stardom. Although, he thought he was going to go about doing things in a little different fashion. Updated as he is for the big screen, there is always still a sense of melancholy to Gonzo. He is a self-described whatever or weirdo, never quite knowing what he is or where he fits into things. He's not fully depressed here, but he never quite feels that he truly fits in, even amongst these folks that he loves to travel with. His balloon adventure, while frightening for the others, is a thrill for him, and he ruminates on this and wanting to be able to fly again, and the experience of feeling of belonging as they sit around the campfire in the desert when he sings his song, I'm going to go back there someday. Come and go with me. <laughs> 
for fun to share We'll both be completely at home in midair We're flying, not walking on featherless wings We can hold on to love like invisible strings just met part heaven part space or have I found my place you can't just visit but I plan to stay I'm going to go back there someday And this is ultimately why I love Gonzo so much. I feel I can relate to him. I have a great family, I have many decent and good people who I am proud to call my friends, and yet, there is always a part of me that has made me feel a little bit more outside looking in. Prone to liking strange acts and being an enjoyer of bizarre things. And to me, that makes Gonzo my Muppet totem. We won't get into it now, but I, for one, really enjoyed the fact that the plot of Muppets from Space ended up being all about Gonzo trying to understand his place in the world. Likewise, in the 2014 Muppets film, the concept that he has turned into a plumbing magnate, who seemingly has no common sense and has wired his entire factory and business to explode just on the odd chance that he could become a performer again, that cracked me up to no end. Gonzo consistently is the Muppet who makes me howl with laughter and brings tears to my eyes. Not to get morbid on anybody, but for the record, it has been put into writing. I want them to play I'm going to go back there someday at my funeral. And that's not meant to be a sad or mournful thing. It's supposed to be wistful with a sense of hope. And in saying that, hopefully it will be many, many decades before anybody gets to experience such a thing. My fingers are crossed. Another thing I'd like to point out, this year is the 40th anniversary of the release of the Muppet movie. And looking back on it, does it hold up actually today? Well, yeah, I think it is a testament of the quality of this film that you can plop any normal kid nowadays down in front of it and it will still delight them. They may not understand the more adult and, let's face it, dated jokes, see the running Hari Krishna gag, and they might not recognize the folks that are making the cameos, but the silly, exuberant fun still holds up remarkably well. Now, for you modern parents, this is something to ponder. What was the last film you saw with your kids that offered conflict resolution the way the Muppet movie does? And look, I'm not bagging on them. I love Marvel movies. I have them all. They're great. And I realize this is not a completely fair one-to-one -one comparison. But again, when was the last time you saw Iron Man, Captain America, or Thor? 
settle their differences with an adversary by using their words rather than having a prolonged knockdown drag out fight. Again, I totally get it. They're action films. They're meant to be exciting. But Marvel movies have now become really the new normal family movie. That's what parents are taking their kids to. And in real life, you can't punch all of your troubles away. So in this film, Kermit decides to stop running and confront his bully, Doc Hopper. And he uses his words to reason with him. He doesn't insult or belittle him when talking to him. He simply tells him, I have my own goals and my own dreams, and I too want to have success in life. Granted, Kermit does fail to reason with Hopper, and that does set the stage for a funny animal intervention. But still, the dialogue has dignity. I would argue that this film is perfect in its non-violence, but that whole train of thought gets ruined by Miss Piggy's humorous karate spree through Hopper's men. It is played for humor, but it does tank any further, you know, points that I could make there against the film not having a physical conflict. Still, all in all, The Muppets at 40 years young, it looks good. It has characters that still draw laughs, and it is imbued with Henson's message of believing in one's dreams and supporting each other as friends. And I would argue that is much needed in these trying times. <laughs> Screw it. Okay, look, trying times is unfair. In these days of Trump, where ad hominem attacks and outrageous degradation of our fellow men coupled with a prideful lack of civility and compassion, in 2019, we flat out need more Muppet Movie, and we need more Jim Henson in our daily lives. Alright, I promise I will put the soapbox away now. But still. So how was this film received? Well, released in May of 1979 and made on a budget of $8 million, the Muppet movie went on to rake in almost $76.7 million at the box office. Its writing was praised as making its comedy broad so it could be all things to all ages, and no matter who you were, you could walk in, view the movie, and get some enjoyment out of it. It's hard to find a reviewer who didn't have positive things to say about the film. However, I will mention Leonard Malton in his review called the film's soundtrack pedestrian, which truthfully makes me want to take a swing at the man. It's a Williams and Asher score. How can you not find it to be moving and infectious? The nerve of some people. Now, the version of the Muppet movie screened here at the LSCE is the 2001 Henson Entertainment release. It comes with film tests that Henson and Oz did with Frawley to get the outdoor techniques on um, just having the Muppets in the wild, so to speak. Some promotional trailers, a few Muppet shorts. This version is hardcore out of print, especially after the complete Disney buyout of the Muppets, where they rebranded everything to have it now say Disney's Muppets. Now, the positive thing is, this is a very easy film to get a hold of. You can get a copy right now on DVD for $4.99 on Amazon. Or, if you're really into picture quality, you can get that same copy on Blu-ray for $9.95. 
Perhaps you didn't want that. Perhaps you wanted a copy of the first season of The Muppet Show so you could see all those great acts, plus you can see the Valentine special and the Sex and Violence special, or just enjoy some great sketches and music. Well, you can get that first season for $9.99 as well. Let's say you're not interested in that, but you want to read more about Jim Henson and how this film was made. May I suggest Brian J. Jones's exemplary biography of the man himself? Now, keeping all this in mind, I don't get anything for recommending you buy things, folks. We just think it's really important that you continue to support physical media so that these companies will keep releasing content that we love to see. And come on, it's the freaking Muppets. How can you not love them? So that's going to wrap things up here for this episode of I Saw It on Linden Street. Thank you for joining us. If you like us, please follow us on our Facebook page at The Linden Street Cinema Experience and recommend us to friends. We're also on Instagram at LSCE underscore podcast, or you can follow us on Twitter at LSCEP. Please follow or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. If you are an Apple Podcast user, please, we'd greatly appreciate a five-star and a review. We're also pleased to announce again that we are being featured on Podchaser.com. That's a podcast database for creators and listeners of podcasts. Check it out. Give us a like there. Review us if you please. As always, if you want to get in touch with us, make a comment, ask a question, send us wonderful things, please email us at LindenStreetCinemaExperience at gmail.com. If you would like to be even more personal or would like to have a segment on the sidecar, please send us an audio message by way of Anchor, a free and easy app to use. So, until next time, take care out there and remember, life's too short not to live in the past. Take it easy, everybody. Life's like a movie, write your own ending, keep believing, keep Pretending we've done just what we've set out to do Thanks to the lovers The dreamers And